please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. And once you've done that, please turn to 2 Corinthians 6. But we're not going to look at 2 Corinthians 6 until the very end of the sermon. And uh, that only if I don't preach too long. But I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to conclude at 2 Corinthians 6. But we're going to focus on Ephesians 1 again in our study of the book of Ephesians and our study of holiness, what holiness is. Ephesians 1, let's follow along as I read. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Let's pray. Father, as we just read those words, we're overwhelmed at the depth and the height and the length and the breadth of the reality of your grace and your love and your blessings toward us. Father, it's taken us weeks to even just grasp this opening few verses, and it shows us the majesty and greatness and glory of what we have in you, of how incredibly blessed we are, how privileged we have been made by your grace, how you have worked in our lives, what you have done, how it involves your own son how it is involves us becoming your children. Father, we praise you and we thank you and we pray that you'll please be with us as we once again seek to work hard to love you with our mind and to love you with all of our heart and to understand what you said, why you had these things written down for us, why you inspired the Holy Spirit, why the Holy Spirit inspired Paul, why this was preserved for 2,000 years to come to us to this day and this time. This is your word, Father. Help us, we pray, to hear from your word. Help us to study it, to apply it, to hear what you're saying to us. Bless us now, we pray. Bless us through the power of your Holy Spirit working in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, changing us for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, we looked at this passage, and as we looked at uh, verse 3, how God has blessed us with all the spiritual blessings in Christ. And we talked about what that means to be united with Christ, super glued to Christ, as it were. Uh, and then, verse 4, he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. And then we notice that he chose us, and there's three focuses on what his, his, the purpose of his choosing us. One, that we should be holy and without blemish. Two, that we would be adopted as his sons. That's verse 5. So, and I want you to remember that connection of holiness and adoption there because we're going to see that in a few minute moments here. And then thirdly, to the praise of the glory of his grace. This is how the structure of this section is. 
God chose us in Christ, chose us for holiness, adoption, and to his glory. And that's what we've been looking at. And yesterday, or last week, we looked at the fact that God is holy. And what does that mean? That God is separate, that God is, is, is different, that God is, is above us. He's special, he's majestic, he's, he's far and far uh, superior, supreme, and glorious to us. But then also we looked at the fact that God's holiness is his ethical purity, that God is light, and God loves righteousness, and God hates sin. And we looked at the fact that God's grace is to produce in us holiness. God's grace is to produce holiness in us. And, uh, and that's God's purpose. So look at verse 4, that we should be holy and without blame. The word blame there, by the way, means without any blemish, without any stain, without any, anything that marks us out. So if you, if you uh, were at, 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 in your house and you just put down a new white carpet and, uh, and somebody came and visited you uh, and they spilled something that would discolor that, they spilled a red wine on it or they spilled a... Uh, a, a flavored drink on it like these Kool-Aid or something like that. And all of a sudden in your beautiful, beautiful living room is this one big red stain that won't come out. That You would have a sense that that carpet is just ruined. Well, that's the word that's being used here, that we would be holy, that we would be pure, that we would be without stain before him. And again, we see that, look in chapter 5, and again, we're going to be looking a lot through the book of Ephesians today, so keep your Bible open there. But look in chapter 5 where Paul says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for the church, for her that he might sanctify, now that's a word of, that's a verb of holiness, that he might make us holy. Sanctified means to be separated, to be made holy. That he might sanctify and cleanse her. So Christ died to sanctify, make holy, and cleanse the church with the washing of the water by the word. Now remember, this is the imagery of a bride. Verse 27, that he might present her to himself a glorious church. So Christ has, has, is, is, is these people. He died for these people that they would be a holy, glorious bride for them. So think of a wedding right here now. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Think of, the, uh, of a white wedding gown. And think again, if a, if a woman was just about to walk down uh, the aisle in a white wedding gown and, and she stained her wedding gown with something and it had this huge stain on it, and that's, we don't want that. We don't want that to happen. And so that's what verse 27 is, without spot, without wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. That's the exact same word that's used in, in, verse, in chapter 1. Without stain, without blemish, blameless. And so you see, look at, the, word, look at the, the whole thing. Christ died that we would be holy. Christ died that the church would be spotless and stainless. And so if I'm supposed to, I, and therefore the Bible teaches that we as Christians are supposed to seek after and pursue holiness. Look on the screen here where we'll put Hebrews chapter 12 where it says this, pursue peace with all people and holiness. Now look at that. That means pursue peace and pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We are to pursue. And that word pursue there actually means to chase down. It can actually be translated sometimes in the Bible to chase or to persecute. And that word there, but used in a situation like this, it's an active pursuing. We're going to pursue holiness, okay? And then he goes on to say this, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Now notice here, do, let's see. Is there verse 15 in there? 
Is there one before that one, Ray? Oh, I'm sorry. Verse 15 didn't get in here. So listen to verse 15. It's the one between that one and this one you see right there. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. And what I wanted to point out there was that the grace of God is to produce holiness. And that's this whole idea of holiness and grace is there. Lest any root of bitterness spring up causing trouble and by many become defiled. Then this verse. Uh, lest there be any root of bitterness spring up in trouble. And many, oh, wait. And become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. And so you see here this idea that holiness was supposed to be something that we, were, that we are to pursue. So then that leads us to the question, what does holiness look like? What's it mean to be holy? And, and again, remember last week we were talking about the fact that we live in a culture where people are less and less, under, we don't even use the word holy anymore unless we use it as a swear word. And so what does it mean to be holy? What's holiness look like? And how do I achieve that? That's what we're going to try to look at this morning. But let me begin by saying that we have to be careful when you start talking about holiness, and that is that people, you, people immediately begin to think sometimes about false views of holiness, false expressions of holiness. I want to guard you against that. And so yeah, did the pictures make it, Chris? I'm sorry, guys, I'm interacting with these people. I was had a busy morning here. Is even Chris even here? There he is. No pictures. Okay, good. All right. Here's what I was going to picture for you. I was going to put on the screen a picture of a pope and all kinds of cardinals in their outfits. And I was going to say, this is a false view of holiness. It's somehow that if you put on these certain clothing, if you have these certain things, and this, that you are holy and that you are separate and you are different because of this. That's a false view of holiness. There's none of that in the, in the New Testament. None of that. Jesus was unrecognizable in the crowd in one sense because he dressed like everybody else did. There was no, there's no priest. If we, we, we would have guys with these big funny hats and these, and these funny robes and all this gold and everything if we still had an Old Testament priesthood, and they, but they would have to be of the tribe of Aaron. But that's been all dismantled. That's a false view of holiness. Another picture that I was going to show you was monks, and they would have their, their monk robe, and, their, and they would have haircuts similar to mine, but they made them like that. But anyway, uh, and, it was, and it was this idea that we're, it was the monastic idea that we're going we're to separate and live in a monastery and, and all the world is going to be out there and we're going to be in here and we're going to be holy and all the, all the wine, women, and song, all that's out there and we're in here and this is how we're going to be separate and we're going to be holy. That's a false view of holiness. And the monks realized that. That's why mon monasticism never really took off because they realized that when I cut my hair and I put that, 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 that heavy, itchy robe on uh, to mortify the flesh and when I got all the wine, women, and song out there, I still had wine, women, and song going in here and in here and in here, and I still had my own struggles with sin and everything like that. That's a false view. Then I had a third picture up there, and it was an Amish family. And I know we have Amish here in this area, but that's a false view of holiness. It's a view of holiness that says we need to be separate, we need to be different, and so what we're going to do is we're going to lock on to 16th, 17th, 18th century dress styles, and that, by wearing that, is what it means to be holy. Now, thankfully, we have some of our dear Amish neighbors here who have actually got a hold of the gospel finally, but, but, honest, but same thing, there's, there's this false view that, that somehow putting on a piece of clothing makes you holy. Then there was a fourth one, and I didn't have a picture of them because it's hard to find a picture of these folks. But 
and, and that would be fundamentalism. And I know that many of you grew up in fundamentalism. Fundamentalism was a view of, of, of the Bible that said that, that picked and chose certain things that were holy. I went to a fundamentalist Bible college my freshman year, and I didn't even know it was a fundamentalist Bible college. I had a ponytail, I had an earring, I had a beard. I was just like, and then all of a sudden I got a list of the rules. And the rules were no man was allowed to have a beard. He had to have a mustache, but it couldn't come below the, the points of his, of, his, of his mouth here. His hair couldn't touch his ears or his collar. He couldn't wear any jeans. Women wore dresses during the day, uh, no makeup, uh, no movies, no alcohol, no dancing, no this, no that. And I was like, what? I was supposed to go there in one month. And I was like, what is this? But that was fundamentalism. And I only lasted there a month, a, a year, I mean, but that was fundamentalism. And what they would do is they would pick and choose what was holy. And so if you wore these certain things or cut your hair a certain way or, or this and that and didn't go to movies or didn't do this or didn't do that, you were holy. But then there were all kinds of other things, pride that you were different, division, judgmentalness, and all of that that wasn't even addressed. And this is what Jesus was always dealing with with a false view of holiness, which was the Pharisees. And Jesus said, you Pharisees, he said, you have double standards. You, he, he, at one point he says, you strain out the gnat of, in your wine glass. You get that gnat out of there and you swallow down camels. You, 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 you tie these things, but you forget justice and mercy. And so these false views of holiness are all around us. And so what, what does it mean to be holy then? What, how do I become holy? What does holiness look like? Well, let me begin uh, that part by saying, in one sense, you already are holy. If you are a Christian here today, you already are holy. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, look at how Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, look at how Paul addresses the Ephesians in verse 1. He says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. He calls the members of the Ephesian church saints. And that word actually is the word holy in the Greek language. Hagios is the word holy in the Greek language. And so, and here it's being used as a noun. You are the holy ones. You are saints. You are the holy ones. And again, see, this isn't a false view of saints that there's like St. Christopher and St. Joseph and St. So-and-so, the saint of this, Satan, that. and this. No, that's nowhere in the scriptures. All believers, Paul says, you're the holy ones. You are the holy ones who live in Ephesus. That's what it means that you are already holy. And that's why Paul will go on to say things like this. And, and this is where holiness and adoption are tied in together. Look at chapter 5 and verse 1. Paul says this. Therefore be imitators of God. They're to imitate God as dear children. See, they have been adopted as the children of God. This is their identity and they're supposed to live that out. Be imitators of God as dear children. Live that out. You're the children of God. You've been separated. You're the holy ones. You're the saints. Look at what he says in chapter 5 and verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You were darkness. Now you're light. Walk as light. You're holy people. Walk as holy people now. Live that out. Look at verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Live out this light of who you are. And this is what theologians call definitive sanctification. In other words, oftentimes when we think of sanctification, which again, that's the word holiness, sanctification, living out and growing holy, we think of it as progressive sanctification where we grow to be holy. And that's clearly in Scripture, and we're just about to turn there. But it begins with what's called definitive sanctification, 
where you have been set apart. You have been made one of Christ's people. You have been separated from the world. You are now children of God, children of light. You're the saints, and you're to live that out. One of the clearest examples of definitive sanctification is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. We're going to put this on the board here. Paul says this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators... Now, by the way, flip back, Ray. Can you flip back to the first one? Yeah. I wanted to stop because this word fornicator is going to come up a lot, and, and I want you to understand something. That is the Greek word pornea, okay? Obviously, you hear pornography in that word, and that's right. Pornea, like oftentimes fornication is, 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 is uh, defined in our culture as somebody who has sex outside of marriage. They're not married, they have sex. And adultery is when married people have sex outside the marriage. That, I don't want you to limit your thinking when you hear this word pornea here. Some of your Bibles will, will, might say immoral or profane. That's a little bit stretching it better. Um, it's the word pornea. And pornea is any type of sinful sexual activity. And now it, the view is, is that the only holy sexual activity is sexual activity within a marriage covenant before God. That's the only holy sexual activity. So it's any sexual activity outside of that holy structure. And that's, so just, you'll hear this word, okay? So we'll go on with the text again. Paul tells it, let me read it again. Do not allow your, do not know, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. For neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, so he just listed all kinds of sins, will inherit the kingdom of God. Now notice what he says in verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, past tense, you were sanctified, set apart, made holy, past tense, you were justified, past tense, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You have been washed. You have been sanctified. You've been set apart as the holy ones, the saints, the children of God. You have been justified by, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. So in that sense, when we start talking about what does it mean to be holy, start off by understanding you are holy. God has made you a saint. You are one of the saints of Jesus Christ. Now we need to live that out. And so again, let's then come back to our question. Well, what would that look like? What does that mean? What does it mean to be holy? How, how, how would that, how would I, how, what am I supposed to seek to live out? And again, last, year, last week, I, I, I made mention of this. I said, we're to see Jesus as our model. We have in Jesus Christ a man who lived a full life here uh, until he was 33 approximately years old. And he, he lived an absolutely perfectly holy life. And so when you think of Jesus and you think of his life and what he looked like, that'll give you an idea of what a holy person looks like. What's a holy person like? Well, a holy person loves God with all of his heart, with all of her heart, with all of their soul, with all of their strength, with all of their mind. They love God. That's holiness. Holiness is to love God with everything that you've got. No rival gods. There's, you, 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 don't, you don't have any other gods. There's no other gods before me. Uh, you, you don't use God's name in a, in, a, in a light and vain way. He's holy. He's special. 
You should almost tremble when you hear somebody say, oh my, and then use God's name. Because it's like, wait a minute, God said don't ever use that in a light vain way. I love God. I would never do that is what a holy person says. It's to love God, to pursue God, to want to know God, to want to be near God, to want to be like God, to, to be close to God. That's what it means to be holy. To love God with all your heart and to love your neighbors yourself. A holy person is a person who loves their neighbor as they love themselves has a genuine concern for the well-being of their neighbor like they have a genuine concern for their own well-being. A genuine concern for the well-being of their neighbor. Everybody have a genuine concern for their well-being equal with the genuine well concern of the well-being they have for themselves. And to act upon that. To act upon that. That's why the Bible says that if you love, that love fulfills the law. You think of the, of the Ten Commandments, you know, especially the second tablet. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't steal, uh, you know, don't covet. And, and Paul says, if you love somebody, you won't do any of that to them. You won't hate them, you won't steal from them, you won't lie to them, you won't take advantage of them. And if you love your neighbors yourself, you're going to be sympathetic, you're going to be kind, you're going to be compassionate, you're going to be gentle, you're going to care for them. And then you're going to practically act on that. If they have a need, you're going to seek to meet that need. If they need money, you're going to start reaching in your pocket or trying to find your wallet. If they need help, you're going to roll up your sleeves and help them. If the cars broke down, you're going to slide under there with them and see if you can help them. If they need, if they need somebody to come over and fold laundry or watch a kid, because you're going to do it. You're sensitive and you're going to live that out. It's to love. That's what holiness is. It's to live out this kind of life of love. Look in Romans chapter, uh, we, we've already looked at it, but look at chapter 5 and verse 9 again. You may still be open there. I am. I don't know. Maybe everybody is. Um, that's where Paul says in, in 5, 9, for the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth. And then in verse 10, he says this, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. What does God want me to do? How can I serve him? That's what holiness is. That's vibrant, exciting. That's That's holiness. And there's another part of holiness. Holiness separates itself. That's part of what holiness means, to be separate, to be set apart, to be sacred, to be special in that way. There's a part of holiness that separates itself from what is wicked. Look at the very next verse, 511. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is the light. What is Paul saying? He's not saying go around saying, oh, you shouldn't do that, oh, you shouldn't do that, oh, you're wicked, oh, you're wicked. That's not what Paul means here at all. What Paul means here at all is don't do the wicked things that they do. Walk in the light. Walk as children of light. Look at verse 8. Walk as children of light. And what light does is when light shines, it manifests and it reveals the things that are around you. So if you're kind and you're loving and you're gracious and you're compassionate and another person is mean and nasty and ugly and, and selfish over here, you just being you, you don't have to point anything out to him, will shine a light on him and make him feel he's wicked. And this is certainly was something that was very profound and powerful in my own life. I came in touch with, I was a wicked guy. And I came in, my language was foul, my lifestyle was foul, my attitudes were foul, my, there was so much foul about me. And I came around some holy people. And when I came around genuinely holy people, they weren't pointing me out and judging me. If you'd have judged me back then, I'd have been so in your face. 
They didn't judge me. They just lived holiness before me. And they made me feel and look really ugly. And that's part of what holiness does. But part of holiness is just getting rid of the old. And that's why the Bible will talk about getting rid of the old man, putting off the old man, and putting on the new. It, it, it separates itself in that sense. For instance, look at chapter 5 and verse 3. Look what Paul says there. But fornication, there's pornea, and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Your saints, your separated, set apart, holy people, and being saints, therefore, and verse 1, imitators of God, and verse 8, children of light, for pornea, fornication, and all uncleanness and covetousness, it shouldn't even be named among you. It shouldn't even come close. You should put all of that stuff off because you're saints. That's what you should do. You don't leave the world. You don't become a monk and say, well, then I better get in a monastery. No, no. In fact, Jesus prayed, Father, I don't ask you to take them out of the world. I just ask you to make them not to be of the world. So you're in the world, but you're not of the world. And so these things of the world, you put off, you put off, you put off. What do, how do saints live? Saints guard their tongue. Look at, look at cha, uh, holy people. Are guard, they, they have control over their tongue and what they say. Look at chapter 5 and verse 4, the very next verse. He's talking about saints in verse 3. He says this, Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting. Not fitting for what? Well, look at verse 3. Not fitting for saints. Neither foolishness, nor uh, filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. Here's what holiness is. It's somebody who has a clean mouth, a clean tongue. They speak forth good things. Look at chapter 4 and verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the ears. This is what holiness looks like. It looks like a person who has control of their mouth and the things that come out of their mouth build people up and are, and are for a blessing and, 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 and the filth doesn't come out of their mouth. And holiness also means that you replace the bad in your life that you're putting off with good. You replace it with good. Look at chapter 4 and verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. Get it out of there. And, and then he gets with, with all malice. Don't be meanful. Don't be hateful. Don't be angry all the time. Don't be, don't be bitter. Put that away. But look at verse 32. This is what it means to be holy. But be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another even as God forgave God in Christ forgave you. So this is the idea of holiness. And so holy people just they 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 they're not bitter and angry, they're compassionate, they're patient. They love, they forgive, they turn the other cheek. They trust God. They they this is and they have a passion to be holy. You say, "Well, how do I do this? How do I become this person?" It's pretty tough. Well, number 1, you don't do it by human effort alone. You don't say, okay, everybody, just go out there and be holy. Go, go for it. Just go do it. Good luck, man, because you, you know. No, 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 no. That's not the Bible's message. The Bible's message is this. If you are a Christian, you must realize that you are uniquely equipped for the task to be holy. The world doesn't have what you have. 
You are uniquely equipped to be holy. What do I mean by that? Well, you have been born again. You have been born from above. You have been born a child of God. You have the indwelling Holy Spirit living within you. That's what it means that you're a saint. You have been set apart. And you have all that you need. You have been born again. You are a new creation. And your instincts and your desires are changed because of that and are moving in a direction exact opposite of what you used to be. They're moving in this direction toward holiness, toward God. That, that's because you've been born of God. You're a child of God. You're a new person inside. And you have the resources then to follow on this path of holiness. You have been born again. Again, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You're in chapter 5. Again, look at verse 18. He says, do not be drunk with wine, but, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be under the powerful, prevailing influence, not of wine, but of the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. He says in chapter 4 and verse 30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He says in chapter 1, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. He says in Galatians, walk in the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. He tells us to be led by the Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit in you to lead you into the paths of holiness, to lead you there. It's, and we're told this in Scripture in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. It says this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now notice here this idea of holiness, being led by the Spirit, and being children of God. You've been led by the Spirit. You're be, you are being led by the The Holy Spirit tells you, don't go that direction. Don't think those thoughts. Don't say those words. Do this. Have your devotions. Grow in grace. Pursue holiness. Be loving. What should I do right here now? Be patient right here right now. What should I do here right now? Don't join in that gossip. What you, that's what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit who is in you to make you holy. You have that reservoir in you. You have that in you. And then what we're to do, our, what our labors are to do, is we're to fight, pursue holiness, fight sin, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we put off the old man, we put to death sins that are within us, and we grow in grace, and we develop the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and that's how we become holy as we progressively become more and more holy, as we progressively become who we actually are, which are saints, children of the living God. In chapter 8 of Romans, verse 13, Paul says this, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Leave that up for a second. You put to death. What are we supposed to do? By the Holy Spirit, we are to put to death the deeds of the body. And here he's talking about the sinful, the, the sinful desires of it. We're to put them to death. We're to kill them. We're to slay them. We're to execute them. We're to assassinate them. We're to take a baseball bat and beat them up until they're bloody and laying on the ground. And we walk away, and if they move again, start whacking them some more. It's, it's, it's the old word mortify. We're to mortify our sin. We're to kill our sin. And it, then the Holy Spirit it replaces that with righteousness. He replaces that with holiness. And that's what we're to keep doing. We're to, we're to be doing this. We're to be doing this. We're to be doing this. Or another way Paul says it is this. Romans 13, 14. But put on... The Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice here, here's that idea of putting on. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Be empowered by him. Live in him. Walk in him. You're in him. Put him on. And look at the next part. 
and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. I ain't watching that show. It's R-rated. That's not going to be good for me. I'm not going to make provision for the flesh. I'm not going around with those people because as soon as I get around those people, I get dragged down to their level. I'm not going to make any provision for the flesh. I'm not going in that store because if I go in that store, I'm just going to covet and covet and covet. I'm not going to look at that woman. I'm not going to look at that woman because if I look at that woman, I'm going to make provision. I'm not going to do it. This is what I mean. Make no provision for the flesh. Draw on the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Draw on the power and 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 and, and, and you, will be, you will grow in grace. You will grow in grace. So there's this idea of putting off and putting on. Look at how Paul says it in 4.22. He says that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. Put that off. Get away from it. Make no provision for it. Beat it up. Kill it. But then he says this. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Look at verse 24. That you put on, notice the next words, the new man which was created according to God, listen to this, in true righteousness and holiness. And so as a true saint, a man who comes to Christ in the old man, he was angry, he was short-fused, he was mean-spirited, and, and he puts that off. And by the grace of God, he becomes a man who is patient and gentle and kind and loving. Somebody who, 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 who in, in, when they were in the old man, they were, they were covetous and striving and loved stuff. And, and just as soon as they made one purchase, were ready to make the next one. And by the power of God, they become content and generous and, 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 and happy with what they have. You see, dear friends, this is, this is the process of holiness, and this is what we're to be working out in our own lives. We're to go after our sin, we're to kill it, and we're to see the Holy Spirit replace it in, in his power and might. And that's why Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 1. He said, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. That's old, that's old uh, Bible language is saying, take that long robe and stick it up there and put it under a belt so that you can run and fight and get into action. That's what they did. You can't run with a robe down to your ankles. You gird up the loins. And here Paul says, uh, Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind. Get ready for action. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon, here we go, grace, the grace that has been brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, here's adoption, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, there's the old man, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. The guy who called you, the one who called you, the one who called you as God is holy, you be holy then in all of your conduct because it is written, be holy, this is God speaking, for I am holy. All right, so there we are, there we have it. But I would like to do one more thing before we, before we move to the Lord's table. It's what um, my mentor used to say. Uh, I want to now bend the nail over. My, one of the pastors who taught me preaching and pastoring said, once you nail a nail in, flip the board over and bend that nail over so it won't come out. And I want to bend the nail over. And what I want to do by that is I want to give you an extra added passion. For holiness. And I want to do that under the title, The Beauty of Holiness. The Beauty of Holiness. God's goal for us, God's primary goal for us is not our happiness. So many people today feel like, well, God's here to make me happy. God's not here to make you happy. That is not the primary goal. God's primary goal for you is to make you holy, 
See, if you think that God's primary goal for you is to make you happy, then if trials come into your life, if sicknesses or pain or difficulties or challenges come into your life, or even God's chastisement comes into your life, you think, wait a minute, this is God's not playing with the deal right. He, 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 he's supposed to be here to make me happy, and instead he brought a trial into my life. Well, God is not here to make you happy primarily. God is here to make you holy. And those, those trials and those difficulties coming into your life are going to mold you and form you and make you into being a holy person. That being said, now let's be careful here. We always have to be careful in theology. That being said, it's not an either-or, holiness or happiness. It's not like God saying, I could care less if you're happy. I have no interest in you being happy. I want you holy. No, that's not what God is saying. It's not an either-or. In fact, our Puritan forefathers used to put it this way. They would say, holiness is happiness. Holiness leads to happiness. Happiness is one of the fruit of holiness. And that comes under the, 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 the subject of the beauty of holiness. In, Matthew, in Psalm 29, verse 2, uh, uh, David writes this, Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of of holiness. In Second in Second Chronicles chapter twenty and verse twenty one, Jehoshaphat is getting his army ready to go out, and he starts his army off with a, a praise team, basically. And it says this, and and he had when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. They're praising the beauty of the holiness of God's mercy, the beauty of holiness. Dear friends, holiness, if holiness is working in your life and you're becoming holy, it is going to bring something beautiful, something glorious, something nice, sweet, Shalom, blessing, happiness. What are you talking about, Todd? I'm talking about this. When a man becomes a Christian, maybe he's mean, selfish, lustful, becomes a Christian, becomes a new man, Holy Spirit grows within him, and he marries a woman. And holiness begins to work in his life, and he is a holy husband. What is a holy husband? A holy husband is a man who loves his wife, serves his wife, nurtures his wife, protects his wife, encourages his wife, has compassion on his wife, treats her as special, treats her like she is a, a, a child of God and a daughter of God. And he nurtures her and he leads her spiritually and he helps her. And what happens is, is you watch these wives under holy men and they flourish. They feel safe. They feel loved. They feel affirmed. They feel beautiful. They feel valued. They feel appreciated by this man that God has given them. And if they came into the marriage with hurt, they came into the marriage with insecurities, they came into the marriage having been treated shamefully by other men, this holy man, this loving man, this sacrificial man, this man with a servant heart, this man who builds them up and nourishes them and nurtures them, this man, they become these beautiful, beautiful, beautiful women. And that's the beauty of holiness. Let's flip it around. A wife. You have a wife. 
And she loves her husband. And she respects him. And she honors him. And she submits to his leadership. She's not constantly backbiting. She's not constantly questioning him. She's not trying to use him to get her will done. She's not trying, she's not always pushing, 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 get her way. She's, she, she's a holy woman. She, she, she loves him. She, she cares for him. She's there for him. She seeks to make him happy as he's been seeking to make her happy. She defers to his leadership. She steps back and lets him take leadership, helps him in his leadership, encourages him in his leadership. Do you know what happens to that man? That man grows. That man develops. And I watch these young men who have wives like that. And these young men step up. These young men grow into leadership. These young men grow into Christ's likeness. These young men are men that can take control and take charge and lovingly care. And these are the kind of men the world desperately, desperately needs. And godly parents who love their children. Holy parents who love their children and nourish their children and mold their children's character and take the time to teach their children right from wrong and discipline their children when they do wrong so that they will learn not to do wrong and do right and teach their children how to work and teach their children how to be fair and teach their children how not to be violent and teach their children and nourish and develop their, their very character. And these children then, there's something beautiful that happens to these children. These children are a delight to be around. They develop into amazing adults. And because, and it's because, and that's the beauty of holiness. What's a holy employee? It's a man or a woman who shows up for work. And we're, I don't have time to go into those, but we're going to get into this all in the book of Ephesians because Paul's going to tell bond servants, how are you supposed to live your life? And he's going to say this, show up for work ready to give 110%. The Bible says that whatever you put your hand to, do it heartily as unto the Lord. A holy employee is a guy or a gal who shows up for work, ready to work, sleeves rolled up, ready to sweat, ready to take orders, ready to do what they say. Not an eye pleaser, just try to make them look good in front of the boss, but genuinely does it to the Lord that God would be glorified and God would be honored. And they begin to master their skill, master their trade. They, they begin to be people that the employee can trust. The employer can trust. The employer puts, put, uh, is so happy that they're there. They, they, they actually pray for their employer and develop a relationship with him and all of a sudden you see the beauty of holiness and I wish all of my my employees were like this and how about a Christian employer he cares about the people that are under him he cares about them and he he watches out for them and he, he he's, he's he's for their well-being and he he seeks to make sure they're well compensated and their work environment is right and they're protected and they're, and they're doing well and they and they and and there's something beautiful about that there's a beauty to holiness holy a holy man a holy man, how does he relate to women? In the presence of a holy man, a woman, no matter what that woman is, who that woman is, feels safe and affirmed. His eyes aren't going up and down her body thinking lewd thoughts. He's not flirting with her. He's not treating her in a way that's disrespectful. In fact, Paul told young Timothy, he said, Timothy, treat every older woman as your mother. Treat every woman your age, Timothy, as your sister. And I would add to this, treat the younger, as you get older like me, treat anybody who's younger as your own daughter. Mother, sister, daughter. How, do, how, how, does, a, how does a man feel toward his mother, sister, and daughter? 
protective. He cares for them. If they need something, he's going to help them. He's for them. He respects them. He delights in their personality, not in their body. There's nothing sexual. It's just a delight. A holy man like Jesus treated every woman like that. When a woman is in the presence of a holy man, she feels safe, affirmed. She feels like a person, not a sex object, not somebody who's going to flirt with her. She feels, she feels affirmed as a person. And there's something beautiful about that. There's something beautiful about that. Dear friends, this is the beauty of holiness. I'll tell you another beautiful thing about holiness. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Have you ever felt the beauty of holiness when you had the opportunity to serve somebody? A widow had a leaky roof, and you had the opportunity to get up on that roof and to fix it. And she was so grateful. And she was so dry and safe now. A fellow down there, he's, he's just trying to make ends meet. He's trying to put food on the table, and now he needs an alternator, and he, doesn't, he can't afford to have somebody do it, and he's fumbling around, and he's making... And you step in, and you help him. And he's so grateful. That feeling that you even get of having helped somebody, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's the beauty of holiness. See, if you make happiness your goal, it's always going to be... It's never going to be enough. But if you make holiness your goal, happiness will follow because holiness is happiness. And as you see the beauty of holiness, you'll desire it more and more and more. That's what Jesus meant when he said this in Matthew 5. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You can substitute holiness there. For they shall be filled. So where are you at today? Where are you at today? Turn to 2 Corinthians 6. We're going to give God the last word. God's word is going to be the last word. But let me ask you this. Where are you at today? Are you real? Are you born again? Are you passionate for holiness? Are you growing in holiness? Are you, are you living out what it means to be a child of the living God? Or are you just using God to get happy? You're using God because you just don't want to go to heaven. But what really jazzes you it's Friday night, the beer, the loud laughs, the flirting, the raunchy music, the raunchier jokes. That's what really grabs you. That's what really gets your heart. Or the world with all of its pleasures, all of its fun, all of its seduction. That's what really has your heart. Well, Dear friends, this world is marked for destruction. And if that's where your heart's at, you're like Lot's wife who perished because the ultimate love that she had was this world, her own pleasures, her own happiness. Corinth was a really wicked place. And Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he's telling the Corinthian Christians, get away from that stuff, get away from that stuff, pursue holiness. So listen to this passage, and then I'll pray. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 through 7, 1. Paul writes this. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? 
And what accord has Christ with Belial, which is the devil? And what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. There you go. Chosen, adopted. You know, there, before the, Here it is. Verse 17. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And here he applies this now. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, they're the beloved of God, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Dear ones, let's look in our lives. Listen to the Holy Spirit's leading. Look in our lives. Is there something you need to just get out? Get rid of, take a bat to it, kill it in your life. Go after that and pursue perfect holiness by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are holy. Live that out in your life. Let's pray together. Our Father, we praise you. We thank you that you, the holy God, call us sinners into fellowship with you. That you cleanse us, wash us, pardon us, forgive us of all of our sins. You also give us a new life and the Holy Spirit. And your plans for us are deeper than that we would just be pardoned and let out of prison. Your plans for us is that we would be like you and be holy. Father, help us to pursue holiness. Help us, we pray. Help us to have a passion for it. And help us to believe that the beauty of holiness is the pathway to happiness. Give us grace, we pray, as we approach this table now. In Jesus' name we pray.